0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts, and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, I tell you, it may be Tuesday, but we have got a wealth of big stories for you, and most of them, our technology. That is why Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, have got Arjun Cabal here. Uh, you may have another job doing .com writing, but I'm not going to let you go there today. Uh, I haven't told .com that. Anyway, let's get to your headlines. So chip designer Arm reportedly looking to close the books early on its Blockbuster IPO. Amid reporting, the listing is now more than 10 times oversubscribed. It was tech stocks, though, that fueled a Wall Street rally with equities seeing back-to-back gains with Tesla shares accelerating 10% on the back of an analyst upgrade.
1: JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon isn't buying the optimistic view of Wall Street, urging caution and warning that despite the positive sentiment, he still has major concerns on the U.S. consumer.
2: We've been spending money like drunken sailors around the world. Uh, this war in Ukraine is still going on. Those are really big bucks.
0: You know, to say the consumer is strong today means you're going to have a booming environment for years is a huge mistake.
1: The EU cuts its growth outlook and forecasts an annual recession in Germany as higher energy prices hit the industrial powerhouse. Economy Commissioner Paolo Gentiloni warns this slowdown will have consequences.
3: If the uh, larger economy of the union is uh, in uh, negative, slightly negative, Growth this is affecting everyone.
1: Happy Tuesday, everyone. Happy Monday for you. This is your first working day of the I've week. Got a strange I?
0: working I have to be honest. I, I, I'm doing something that's very rare this week, which is actually having a social life. Uh, yeah. As you know, I don't normally well. do that. So I'm afraid I will be leaving you sporadically throughout the week.
1: An Anom- anomaly for you. You yeah. typically just work, 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 no play. Oh, bless you. Well, oh, SoftBank is trading higher in Tokyo on the back of reports that ARM's upcoming IPO is already oversubscribed by a factor of 10. Arjun is here with more. Arjun, what is going on with this? It seems as though it was a hard ask for a lot of the bankers. They piled them all in there because it seemed like they need every banker in town to sell was this 28? Thing. 28 bankers, <laughs> yeah. right. And then they, they bring the valuation down, the one that SoftBank has on its books. They scrap that. They bring it lower. Now, suddenly, it is uh, the hot ticket in town, and maybe the pricing is even going to be higher.
4: Yeah, that's right. Just, just a few of those details before I unpack that. I mean, the last time I remember, well, for... For tech anyway, an order book closing early was the 2019 dual listing uh, for Alibaba in Hong Kong. So it tells you the sort of, uh, you know, the the, the the focus of this, the kind of company uh, we've got at play here as well. Bloomberg saying that Arm could be raising the price above that upper end of $51 uh, per share as well. I think there's a few things and it's important to set the context there. Context Coming into this, uh, SoftBank has been reeling from record losses at its Vision Fund and this Arm IPO was seen as key for offering investors some return, but also giving SoftBank a big windfall as well, potentially to go out and and begin reinvesting for this new AI era. We've heard SoftBank talk about going from defence mode, where it was a lot more cautious on investments, to then turning into offence mode now, in which it feels like it's at. And so perhaps there's been a little bit of caution in the way SoftBank's approach this in terms of one, we've seen only uh, releasing about 10% of the shares, but also perhaps in the pricing as well when you're seeing clearly there is demand here they were testing the waters of the ipo market at a time where there was still a little bit of caution towards tech stocks towards new ipos and particularly around whether this ai hype we've seen with the likes of nvidia could potentially translate through to ARM, which of course we know is a very different proposition in terms of what it offers uh, for artificial intelligence and that future there. So I think that's really the context here, but clearly uh, there is huge demand for this. ARM we know is a critical, critical company Mm in the broader semiconductor sphere. uh, sphere. It makes the, uh, or designs the architecture which underpins the uh, processes in 99% of smartphones globally. And the company is now talking about where its future lies in areas such as the data center uh, and other AI applications as well.
1: You just caught my attention with the the, uh, course of trade for a lot of the IPOs uh, in your commentary there around Alibaba and what happens. And there's a lot of writing around the retail investors. Should they jump on board this one when it's offered to the market? some of the crunching of the numbers suggest that, look, the past four years, some of those 10 biggest U.S. IPOs down 47 percent from the closing price on their first day of trading. So when this one comes to market, some retail investors might jump on board. Um, of course, I think a lot of British investors are familiar with, perhaps more so than American investors, but it could be one that uh, some think, well, it's in the semiconductor space. Let's just go for it. But it is dicey business, isn't it? What Just two stocks of the top 10 are actually uh, are leading with returns, uh, Snowflake, and airbnb uh 111% return
4: that's right. And I think when you look at a company like Arm, it is profitable, we know that, but it has also uh, seen sort of the impact of a slower smartphone market. And that's still where it makes so much of its profit. Uh, uh, its revenue, sorry, I think more than 50% of its, its royalties and licensing fees come from smartphones and consumer electronics. And so that still shows you the reliance it has on that part. So when we get a downturn, like we've seen now in the smartphone market and other areas like uh, PCs and laptops, ARM has taken a hit. So the key, I think, here is how can it diversify its business? Now, uh, the company's spoken about how it might get into the data center. Uh, And that's an area that NVIDIA plays heavily in with its GPUs. But that's not what ARM does. ARM makes CPUs. Now, AI applications that run in these data centers and all the training and the large amounts of data that are processed by NVIDIA's chips, they don't necessarily need an ARM-based component to go with it. And that's where I think you've got to be a lot of, little bit more discerning around ARM. This is not just a straight up NVIDIA play. This is not just a straight up AI play. There's a lot of work this company is going to have to do if it wants to be relevant in the age of AI as we're talking about it as well. And so that's going to be a big a big one. And also, of course, there are numerous risks and we've spoken about them, whether it's China, whether it's some of the, the competitive threat as well. Uh, those are still real threats for this business. And, and how those play out, I think, are going to be key to, I guess, how this stock performs uh, over the coming, well, is months it- Sure the key is. Is.
0: Here, and look, there's an amazing conversation already, and we're going to go deep deeper dive into the IPO market and, and the problems it's having a little bit later on. But but the core, let me just take a step back. Arm is a known quantity and has been a known quantity for decades. We spent years speaking to the CEOs from Robin Saxby and Simon Segers and others as well. So we've, we've done that sketch. But but, but your t- the sizzle of Arm is what might be, not what is. What is, is a dominant market position that everyone knows about in a a technology that is flat in terms of revenues. The global smartphone market is flat, if not declining as well. Now, that's great. They've got a great position in a huge market, but it's not a growing market. And that's the point there as well. So as much as I'm excited about it, it's a great British success story. And you look at the, the history of the company, fantastic. But in terms of the sizzle, in terms of growth, I'm struggling to see that. And I'm not trying to create a counter argument for the sake of it as well. I want to see this company do well. It's a British company. Great. Good old But but the fact of the matter is, they are dominant in an area of the market that isn't growing. That is the fact. They want to be dominant in other areas, but then so does everyone else. Yeah. So it's aspiration rather than reality. And that's my only caveat to this story.
4: And the reality is that it is flat. You see that in the in the last quarter it struggled as well because of the overall smartphone market as well. I think the, the the appeal of that as uh, on the other side yes it's a dominant quantity right it underpins 99% of the world's smartphone processors and therefore it can continue to sort of get these royalties out of these companies and that's really what it relies on right it's its dominant position right now and it is it is that it is that we know arm is critical to the smartphone market we know arm is critical to consumer electronics but it is how does it adapt for this new age.
0: Now, I was joshing your, your your lovely boss, Matt and Katrina, and the team there as well, because I've said we're gonna steal you all day, because uh, strictly speaking, you work for .com, really, don't you, rather than TV? I'm everywhere, right? you, you are everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna try and, yeah. so Karen and I want to borrow you as much as we yeah. can today, I'm uh, and beg indulgence of your .com employers, <laughs> but lovely, that's great summary, and we'll, we'll see you on a lot, there's about eight other great tech stories today, so like to we will get about. you on nine of those stories. <laughs> Uh, Arm's IPO is the America's largest in almost two years. We'll take a look at why investors might want to think before they buy later on the show. I think I just did that. Uh, Elsewhere, Arm isn't the only one on the horizon. It's not the only debut. Now, um, there's some really interesting stories around. Instacart, well, that's looking for a $9.3 billion valuation when it goes public. That is way below The $40 billion price tag it reached in its last funding round in 2021. Interesting story. It's a grocery delivery app, and it's expected to list this month. And also, marketing firm Clavio is eyeing a more than $8 billion valuation when it makes a debut. Another retreat from the 2021 valuation. Right. Also, SoftBank has another company in the mix, biopharma firm Numora. Therapeutics, Numera Therapeutics, Uh, is after a valuation of $2.74 billion when it lists, but it hasn't yet given us a timetable. Now, the U.S. markets yesterday, well, it was indeed the technology sector, Karen, that gave us the impetus yet again.
1: If we take a look at the major averages, you can see a quarter of a percent on the Dow, but outpaced by the S&P and the Nasdaq in particular, 1.1% pop is what we saw. A number of different features are underlying this market. Of course, the inflation story quite key as we count down to the CPI numbers later on this week. And the market is looking for signs of moderation here. They're hoping that they're going to get evidence that the Fed will, in fact, be hold on hold at this stage. So that is going to be still quite key as we talk about technology names. But under the hood... As you take a look at uh, the major markets, it was a move on uh, uh, Morgan Stanley for for Tesla that drove the markets. We can flip over the charts. You can take a look at some big moving news here. It was an upgrade around the supercomputer that Tesla has that effectively saw Morgan Stanley upgrade the electric car maker to overweight from equal weight. It is now pointing to the Dojo supercomputer saying this could bolster the company's market cap by $600 billion. A huge call there as uh, you see the company's step into more of a technology realm. Obviously, we've been talking about it as a tech company and an auto company. The news flow very much around the tech company side, and that was why you saw Tesla stock shoot higher by 10%, double-digit gains and very much outpacing the rest of the other major markets, as you can see across the board. But it wasn't the only name as well. It was the likes of Meta that the market focused on as well. You can see the outside performance jumped there, more than 3% in the green. This is the market was again weighing up some of the moves into AI by the company over the weekend, and uh, that saw the um, bolstered uh, performance for that stock. Amazon also rallying strongly on with Qualcomm. So again, very decent day for these big tech names, telling you why the NASDAQ was an outperformer. To Treasuries, uh, let's take a quick look at what we're seeing across the board. The 10-year 4.29 is what we're watching, the two-year 4.99, the market seeing uh, still elevated rates on some of these market trades dollar though we've seen a little bit of disruption on that strong dollar trade and this coming through from the asian regions in particular japan we've seen the year notching its best trading session against the dollar in about two months this after the bank of japan governor ueda has said the policymakers have enough economic information by the end of the year so fleshing out the time frame for this year to determine that short-term rates will need to rise so again we're watching that jgb yield curve in japan at this point and what that means for elevating the Japanese yen from very low levels at this stage so the uh, trade around yen has been firmer morning session though as we watch it this morning dollar is just clawing back a little bit of territory also worth noting the Chinese currency as well as you see, that uh, the yuan had its best trading day in six months. Authorities here vowing to correct one-way moves uh, that uh, coming through from authorities, and you can see, despite all that, uh, dollar now again positive on the trade this morning. We are seeing uh, just a reversal of some of the recent 24-hour moves that we've witnessed. Sterling Euro also on the back foot. Steve.
0: Oh, there's so much going on. Thanks, Karen. Right, uh, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon has warned that policymakers would have to bring back quantitative tightening potentially. Speaking at the Barclays Global Financial Services Conference, Mr. Diamond said that although economic prospects are improving, people should be very careful about the future.
2: Wages are going up, particularly at the low end. It's pretty good, which is why you have a pretty good economy. And there are there are huge buts here. And I, I just think people make a mistake to look at real time numbers and not look at the future. And the future has, Quantitative tightening, we've been spending money like drunken sailors around the world. Uh, This war in Ukraine is still going on. Those are really big bucks. You know, to say the consumer is strong today, meaning you're going to have a booming environment for years is a huge mistake.
0: Uh, Bill Smead has joined us, founder and chairman of Smead Capital Management. And Bill, I might just dig into the weeds of what you and I were just discussing about while Karen was at the wall. Uh, And you were discussing manias from the 17th century, manias from the early 18th century, uh, and of course, then just referencing the dot com bubble bursting you you think this one could be up there with a the lot of them
2: well the the tulip mania in Amsterdam you could trade a fine bulb for a house, a carriage, and two fine horses wow uh, and that's your meme trades that's your crypto that's your right that that that's your beanie baby type stuff. We did the beanie baby stuff right that was sixteen thirty six and then the British government flooded the world with liquidity uh, in the 1720s. And a guy named John Law said, well, oh, let's convince people that if they go down to, to, to the South Seas and, and form a bunch of companies, that, that, that they'll get rich doing it. Well, that's a growth stock bubble. Well, this time we did them together. And, and um, Charlie Mugger calls it the totality of it. Uh, in his career, he said it's the biggest financial euphoria episode of his career because the totality. He means because we're we did like seven different financial euphoria episodes in about a ten-year time period.
0: So, from what you just said, the logical question for me is: uh, Are we going to have a very violent move to the downside soon? What's your answer to that question?
2: Well, I, 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 we just think in terms of it being like the nineteen seventies. That, that's uh, so. It's funny, here we're dealing with inflation, and all the things we learned in college about inflation, no one talks about. Inflation is too many people with too much money chasing too few goods. And and so the last two inflation episodes prior to this one were baby boomers in the 1970s, 75% more people in the U.S. than the prior generation uh, with money created by the Vietnam War and Johnson's Great Society legislation and got monetized uh, chasing too few goods kicked off by the Arab oil embargo in 73, 74 too. So, so then the second one is China decides they want to do business. And so 1.2 billion people that had never had a chance to do uh, commercial enterprise and, and you know, uh, free, free market uh, activities, are too many people with too much money? The Chinese government borrowed. Now you got the outcroppings of that, ch- chasing too few goods. And that was twenty two thousand through t- 2010. That led to the brick trade. By the way, that's all anybody wanted to talk about in 2010. Uh, uh, the the uh, the ten largest companies in the world were all associated with suckling on the China boom. Right? Okay. Then then so now. 92 million millennials, 40% more people than the prior age group, who postponed adulthood for about seven years, right? Adulthood starts at 30, especially for men in the United States, versus 22 like it was 30 years ago, uh, with too much uh, $10 trillion worth of two administrations' liquidity to fight COVID, chasing too few goods, kicked off by the Saudi Sunday taking the price of oil to zero uh, in March of 2020 and setting up the greatest
0: negative 37 bucks on the WTI uh, close on the April
2: contract setting up the greatest bull market in oil and gas that probably will exceed what happened in the 1970s Uh, because on top of that there is a religious experience out there that says that Fossil fuels are evil, and and we're going to make a twi- quick transition away from them. And so nobody's making new. We're going to have to have it. And they're just setting up a huge uh, squeeze there.
1: Which seems to explain the Tesla story, too, perhaps, as you talk about some of those millennials also getting behind the wheel, making those grown-up decisions, but going for electric vehicles, not traditional uh, ICE engines.
2: It's so interesting you mentioned that. The, the, the cab driver picked me up coming from from mainland Europe last night.
0: You've got to be very careful listening to British cab drivers. So,
2: so, By the time they know
0: something, you've got to do the opposite. No, no, he
2: has a hybrid, and he explained to me that the amount of time to charge versus his to- use of his time makes the electric side of his hybrid more expensive for him than his gasoline side of his hybrid. Yeah. Isn't it? And how do you make electricity in the United States or in Japan where there's no nuclear? How do you make electricity?
1: So the reason I also plucked out Tesla then is because it's one of the high flyers. If we talk, take a look at your narrative, typically it's the high flyers you look at for signs of excess. And it was Tesla, for instance, in recent times, it's Meta, it's Microsoft, it's Alphabet. It is a lot of these big name tech stories that have benefited from the market rally. Yeah. I think some people who are trading these stocks or investing in what they think is in the long term are buying because last time around on the back of the financial crisis, this was a secular story. You saw enormous growth because of a new industry created very different business models to what we'd see in the past. So you had growth and you had defensiveness. Why is it not the same t- story this time around, but with the AI leg behind it as the prop?
2: Wonderful question. The, the, <laughs> the history of these things are there's the companies that realize the success of the new technology, and there, there's the companies that don't. The companies that don't become a just complete and total disaster. That's your Lucent and Sun Microsystems from 2000. But then the nifty 50 and the dot-com bubble shows you that Intel and Cisco are 12 to 15 times larger and more successful companies as a company than they were in 2000, and they've never got back to the old stock price. So the problem isn't, will, will Nvidia be a successful company? That's not the question. The question is paying over 40 times sales for a business There's virtually no track record in recorded financial history of that ever being a 10 to 20 year success story. So in our world, we call the, the AI thing a Hail Mary. In other words, if you're trying to perpetuate a financial euphoria episode, you better come up with an absolutely sexy, wonderful marketing opportunity to get all these uh, addicted financial euphoria episode people to continue in the charade.
1: And anyone who's done a Hail Mary knows you've got to do a series of them, not just one. That's all
0: right. That's a bit of a dark hole in my knowledge. Um, but, but, but in terms of, let me just give a counter argument to the concern you have at the moment and, and actually why we might still see continued strength going on. It's kind of tallies what you said. There's a chap we have on sometimes. I think his name is Cole Smead. Um, he may or may not be your son, and he's a lovely man. But he always argues back to me that actually the strength of the U.S. consumer is incredible, and they've got a great balance sheet, and I don't know if he's changed his mind recently. And we have this brilliant ding-dong about that. Anyway, so Cole will turn around and back to me. I'm sure you have this debate constantly. The strength of the U.S. consumer
2: will see us through. No, no, it, that's not a debate. That, I, I'm just as big a bull on the underlying strength of the economy. Yeah. Jamie Dimon is worried about some aspects, we could have a recession, right? yeah. remember. But you well, said it's going to
0: be like the 70s. No, the 70s was a rolling series of crises stroke recessions. But then growth, so Buff- but, but growth after nine years of inflation. No, no,
2: yeah. Buffett spoke at the Allen & Company Summit in 1999. He explained this so well back then, I'm shocked that he's not talking about it now. So he said, from 64 to 81, the United States economy grew 4.3% compounded. Mm -hmm. And the Dow went nowhere for 17 years. So at Smead, we are underlying bullish on the mainstream economy. But that means main street business and labor wins, like in the 70s. uh, Right? But, But... PE ratios get compacted. So then Buffett said, from eighty one to ninety eight, the economy only grew two point seven percent. So
0: why is he buying real estate then?
2: Oh, because it's, it it benefits from inflation. Right. It, people have the hardest time visualizing a zeitgeist uh, in its early stages, but in the late stages, everybody you know, oh, everybody loves tech, everybody loves AI. Every, in the late stages, everybody can identify it, which means it's useless. So so. At the end of the 70s, and the early 80s, people only wanted to invest in something that benefited directly from inflation. So we have a chart that shows the only asset classes that did well were oil and gas and real estate uh-huh. in the 70s. And, and we'll go there because the next bear market that falls this financial euphoria and the amount of time the market goes nowhere will drive people out other than in the sectors that do benefit from this inflation and
1: fixed income i was looking at uh, one of the banking websites last night and it was pretty obvious that if you were sitting in cash that it's a very short window of time so if you're looking to fix beyond say a twelve month time frame the yields start to tip over in some countries <laughs> isn't that obvious that the fixed income trade if you're looking for some protection the fixed income trade might be the place to hide out
2: well yeah the, We i wrote a piece a week ago about the 2% inflation premium uh, in the 30 year tips. And it's the same, first time it's been back to 2% since 2011. And the people that bought the inflation argument in 2011 were dead wrong because the millennial group had not kicked into participating in, in the economy. This time they have. So you've got the $10 trillion of liquidity and 92 million millennials kicking it into gear. Uh, and and by the way, their their spending habits are way more powerful than our group was because we didn't do the travel that they do on top of raising kids and doing all this stuff. So and you saved money. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, they, they do too because they have the instruments to do it that we didn't necessarily have.
1: Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Always great to see you in person and come back again soon. Thanks, thanks for having me. Real treat. Bill Smeed with us, founder and chairman of Capital Management. And let's push on and take a look at uh, what else we've got uh, coming up on the show this morning ahead the eu cuts its growth outlook ahead of a pivotal ecb decision sylvia will join us to break down the figures shortly plus we'll look ahead to the latest employment data out of the uk and bring you those numbers when they break at seven o'clock london time we'll also have more at arms long-awaited ipo expected this week with musketeer capital partners chairman josh Corrin. that is at 8 30 The European Commission has cut its overall EU growth forecast to 0.8% this year. That is down from 1% growth anticipated back in May. Economy Commissioner Paolo Gentiloni said recent data showed the bloc's economy losing momentum, with further weakening expected over the coming year. Well, Sylvia joins us with more. Sylvia, this is all key as we count down to the ECB this week. What sort of growth backdrop we're looking at here in Europe?
3: In essence, the European Commission has turned more negative here, really, Karen. And I want to show you why. Because the main reason, according to the European Commission, is essentially because we're seeing weaker demand across the block. Why? Because we're facing higher interest rates. So all of this is, of course, interlinked. But let me show you some of these expectations. So, for instance, for this year, the growth expectation is of 0.8%. But then if you look at 2024, yes, a little bit of a pickup compared to this year. But nonetheless, that number for 2024 was also downgraded. I want to show you the country breakdown. So we have a bit bit of a picture, really, of what's happening in the major European economies across the block. For instance, the big takeaway really is Germany. This year it's expected to enter neg- ter- negative uh, territory minus 0.4% in terms of GDP expectations. That number was previously a higher by 0.6 percentage points. So more downbeat when it comes to Germany. And we know the main reason here is because really this huge economy has struggled in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But then, if, for instance, if you look at France, the growth expectation for this year is at 1%, then for next year at 1.2%. And it's funny here because the in the press conference yesterday, Gentiloni, who is the head of uh, uh, these forecasts, really, he did explain the difference between Germany and France is because France didn't face such high level of inflation last year. So we're seeing that also now translating into some of these growth expectations. And speaking of inflation, let me show you what are the expectations on that front. Here, though, the main takeaway is indeed that it's positive in the sense that headline inflation will come down. But if you look at this figure at the end of 2024, it's still above the ECB's target. Within this context, I also want to show you the country breakdown when it comes to headline inflation. For instance, in Germany for 2024, we're still expecting 2.8%, um, in Spain, 2.9%. So all of these figures are still well above the ECB's 2% target. And all of this matters, guys, because, of course, we're just days away of a new ECB meeting. Let's see whether Christine Lagarde will decide that they will raising rates or they're holding for this time being.